Well, good morning to you. Uh, as Will said, we're grateful to be able to gather with you this morning. And if this is your first time here, uh, we'd love to meet you. We're glad that you're here this morning, that God brought you to gather with us. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, and just enjoy the time we always have to sing together and now to open up God's Word together this morning. And so if you need a Bible, would you just raise your hand? We'll have a few folks bring a Bible around to you. We'd love uh, just for you to be able to read along with us this morning. Uh, to be able to read uh, the scriptures directly from the Bible and know that if you don't actually own a copy of the scriptures, uh, please feel free to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. We want you to be able to have God's word uh, to read throughout the week. Uh, We're currently in a series, a sermon series called Faithful Church, where we are preaching uh, through different aspects of the church by looking at uh, and texts out of the books of First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. And so this morning we're going to be in Second Timothy once again. But before we get there, let's just spend some time praying and asking the Lord to bless our time together. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be able to be here this morning. It's always a privilege and joy to do that. Uh, and Lord, I know that oftentimes we don't think of it that way. As we go just through the motions of life and uh, even just being a part of the church, maybe we didn't think much this morning before we got in the car and drove here about why we were doing what we're doing. Uh, but Lord, we're thankful that we're here now. We pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you'd help us to see and experience why it's important for us to gather together as your people. And Lord, I pray that we've already been encouraged, that people are encouraged already through what we've sung together, hearing your word read, uh, and Lord, praying I pray now that as we open your word and as preached, I pray that you'd continue to encourage our hearts and that as we conclude our time together responding in song and communion and prayer, Lord, that we would continue just to be enthralled with who you are. May you be exalted today uh, in our hearts and our minds in this place and that as we go from here that you would be the joy of our lives. So we pray that our time in your word this morning would be uh, a means to that end and we pray all this in Christ's name, amen. We'll go ahead and grab your Bible, uh, if you haven't already, and flip open to 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we preached out of a text right after uh, this, uh, the first week in the series, but we're going to jump in in verse 1 through 5 this morning and read these verses. Uh, this is where we'll be spending our time. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, and this is what he says to Timothy. It's what he says to us as well as God's people. <clears throat> I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In 1782, there was a man named Charles Simeon who became the pastor and preacher of Trinity Church in Cambridge, England. And, and Charles Simeon, this is pretty recent in his life, just about three years prior to this, he'd actually come to know Christ as his Lord, as his Savior, trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of his sins while he was a student in college. Some of you guys are students in college right now, and I pray God's doing a work in your life as you are in school. But as Charles Simeon finished up college, what he found himself doing is becoming a pastor in this church. He was only 23 years old when he became the pastor and preacher at 
Trinity Church. He was very eager to pastor and preach at this church, but the church was not eager or excited to have him there. The people of Trinity Church wanted to be entertained. They wanted someone who would entertain them as they, as they preached and as they led. And so they weren't excited about Simeon because they knew that that wasn't what he was all about. See, Charles Simeon wasn't interested in being an entertainer. He was interested in seeing God's people transformed. And so what that means is, is that he was committed to preaching the scriptures, preaching from the Bible. He preached the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He preached God's word, calling people in the congregation to repentance and faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, week in and week out. Now, at this time, you may think, well, why did, why did he go there and why did these people have him come there? Well, at that time, uh, the pastor of the church was appointed to that role within the church. It wasn't the congregation's decision for the pastor to come. So here you have a man that's the pastor of a church and a church that doesn't want him to be there. Now, just to give you an example of kind of the hostility or kind of the, the, the mood among the people of the church, uh, in these church buildings at the time, there were pews. If you've ever been in a church, an old church, there's pews and always have just nice little cushiony folding chairs, but these wooden pews. But something interesting about it is that everybody kind of had their own pew. Like you had your name on it, is where you sat, it was your kind of assigned seat in the congregation, and there were actually doors on the end of these pews that you had that you could lock up. And some of you probably want that. I know you guys like to sit where you sit, right? You're like, man, this is my seat. And you wish you could lock up your seat. But they, they had these pews that actually had doors on the end of them, uh, which you know, doesn't seem very welcoming to new people, but whatever. Um, they had these doors on the end of the pews. And so the people of this church, of Trinity Church, so didn't want Charles Simeon to preach, so didn't want him to be there preaching the word that they refused to listen to him. And so they literally would lock the doors to their pews and not show up on Sunday. Keep people out. So no one could sit in the gathering of the church. And so Simeon decided he was going to rent chairs and put them in the aisles. So if you imagine where we are this morning, assume where all the chairs are, nobody's sitting there, but every empty space in between, he's filling it out with chairs, hoping that someone will come to hear God's word preached. So what did he do? After a while, did he give up, move on, put out his resume, hoping for another opportunity to be at a church that wanted him there? No. What Charles Simeon did is he continued to preach the word. He continued to preach because he believed that it was in and through the word of God that people's hearts and lives would be changed as they encountered the living God through his living word. And over time, God's word did what God's word does. It changed people's lives. People began to listen. People began to repent and to believe. And Charles Simeon remained the pastor and preacher at Trinity Church for 54 years. 54 years he faithfully preached from God's word alone. Now you might be thinking, why in the world are we talking about this? Thanks for the history lesson. What's the deal with this guy that was a pastor some 200 years ago? Why are we talking about that this morning? Well, the reason is, is because today what we're going to look at as we open up God's word and we, the, the text that we just read out of 2 Timothy is the paramount importance of preaching. The paramount importance of preaching. We're in this series talking about being a faithful church. And if we are going to be a faithful church, we must have faithful preaching. And Charles Simeon's story is an example of faithfulness and faithful preaching. We said at the beginning of this series that faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. And Simeon was committed to that. He was a long obedience in the same direction of trusting in and believing that God's word was all that his church needed. It was sufficient for the work that God was doing, regardless of the opposition from within or from without. 
And Charles Simeon was faithful to his call. And so his story is both a challenge to us and a reminder to us to what, of what Paul exhorts Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I mean, to be honest, it's a little weird to preach a sermon on preaching, right? Like, I'm the preacher and I'm preaching about preaching. That just seems a little bit weird to me. Maybe it's a little bit weird to you because you're thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? I don't feel like God is calling me to be a preacher, to be a pastor who's going to get up and do this. But here's the deal. It has a lot to do with you. It has a lot to do with me. It has a lot to do with our church. This is essential for us as a church to understand. And so let's go ahead and jump into this, into this text to see what God has to say to us this morning. And may he bless the preaching of his word this morning. To give some t- context again about what's going on here in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing this letter. His death is imminent. He's sitting in prison. He knows that he's likely not going to get out but be executed because he's been preaching Christ. And so he's writing this letter to Timothy, who's a, a man that he's trained up in the faith to seek to encourage him and challenge him to be faithful. The temptation exists in Timothy's life within the church to be drawn off course, to pursue other things besides Jesus, to talk about other things besides Jesus, and change his method and his message all along the way. And so Paul, out of his love for Jesus, out of his love for Jesus' church, and out of his love for Timothy, writes this letter to exhort him and encourage him, stay faithful, brother, stay faithful. Now we could take this text and we can break it down into three points, so I'll give you those now and then we'll walk through them. In verses 1 through 2, what we see is the priority of preaching. In verses 3 through 4, we see the priority of listening. And then in verse 5, we see the priority of the preacher. The priority of preaching, the priority of listening, and the priority of the preacher. In verses 1 through 2, Paul gives this charge or exhortation to Timothy and all really subsequent pastor elders that, are th- that there must be a priority of preaching in Jesus' church. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Timothy, I give you this charge. I give you these marching orders that this is what you must do to execute God's calling in your life, to, to hold your post, to be faithful to what God has called you to do. But listen, it isn't just me, Paul, saying it isn't just me telling you to do this. This isn't some method that I've come up with. I'm, I'm charging you to do this, not only in my presence, but in the presence of God, the Father and Jesus Christ, the Son. Paul says Jesus is the judge. He will judge the living and the dead when he appears again and his kingdom comes into full effect in the new heavens and the new earth. And we talked a few weeks ago about the seriousness of uh, of the, the role of being a pastor and an elder, that pastors and elders, especially those who preach and teach, will be held accountable before God for what they say and do. So Paul here is telling Timothy, look, I'm thinking about the end. I have the end in mind as I challenge you, Timothy. Paul knows the end is in mind. The end is uh, at the forefront of his mind because he's about to stand before Jesus himself, knowing his death is imminent. And so as he writes to Timothy, he's essentially saying, look, I'm thinking about this. You need to be thinking about this too. All the struggles of this life, all the pressures from culture and the world are temporary. What matters the most is Christ and his coming kingdom. So Timothy, continue to keep your eyes on the prize. Be faithful. Be faithful. And what does he charge Timothy to do? He says, preach the word. Preach the word. If you ever wonder why we preach, why we make this a part of our gatherings as the church, we're going to hopefully see that this morning. But part of it is just because Paul tells us, preach the word. Preach the word. Now, what does preach mean? What does it mean for us to say preach? 
Preaching isn't just getting up and talking about a topic or a subject that we're interested in. It isn't a mere transfer of information. It's not a lecture. The word preach literally means to declare, to announce, to proclaim, to herald. It's like a town crier coming into the middle of a town square saying, Hear ye, hear ye, a message from the king. See, the the means for preaching to be preaching, what it means for preaching to be preaching is that it must be proclaiming something significant. A town crier doesn't come into the middle of a square just to tell you what the weather is. He has a message to give you. You need to listen up to what the king has to say to you. And that's what preaching really is all about. And that's what Paul says. There must be some significant message to your preaching. So he says, don't just preach. Preach the word. Preach the word. And this is super important for us to understand. Our call as a church to be faithful and to have faithful preaching means that we don't just preach or herald anything. This isn't about Timothy getting up and sharing his own thoughts and ideas. It isn't about me getting up and sharing my own thoughts and ideas about something on some particular subject matter. Just as a town crier doesn't come up with his own message to deliver, neither does a preacher. All people who preach are conduits, a mouthpiece, a messenger. Our message is not our own. This message is from The king, and in this case, the message of the king that a preacher delivers and is preaching must be the word of God because that is where God gives us his, tells us about himself and gives us his word. So Paul's saying to Timothy and to every other preacher who ever has or will live, you need to preach the Bible. You've got to preach the scriptures. Now God has revealed himself to us in creation. We can look at Psalm 19.1, which basically says, The same thing that says that God reveals himself in this. It says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Do you catch the wording there? Do you see what the the psalmist is saying? The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens preach the glory of God. The sky above declares the handiwork of God. The sky above proclaims it. It preaches the handiwork of God. The creation itself is preaching a sermon to us about God. But it's not enough for us to know everything that we need to know about God. And so God in his grace spoke, who spoke all of creation into existence by a word, speaks specifically to us through his written word, through the scriptures. Earlier in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, Paul writes there, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. God speaks his word to us. All scripture is from God. And in God's word, God tells us about himself. And in God's word, God tells us about ourselves in relation to who God is. And what we find out about God in the scriptures is that God is 100% holy, perfect, eternal, unchangeable, and independent. And what we find out about ourselves in the scriptures is that we are unholy, imperfect, finite, dependent, sinful people. We have all rebelled against God, the scriptures tell us. We've rebelled against his authority, against his kingship in our lives. We've asserted ourselves to be like God, to be the rulers of our lives, the captains of our own ships. We we want to be autonomous people that are self-existent and self-sufficient. And the Bible calls this sin. And God's word tells us that the wages of our sin, the consequences of our rebellion against God is death and separation from God. We deserve God's wrath because God is holy and God is just and he cannot not punish sin. The Bible tells us this. When we look at God's word, it tells us this. 
But that's not all that the Bible tells us. It tells us that while God is completely holy and just, he is also gracious and merciful and loving. When sin entered into the world, God was not pleased, but God made a promise in the midst of that. He said to us, I will rescue you from yourselves and your sin. I will crush sin and all that comes with it, decay, dysfunction, and death. I will do it, God says in his word. And so the Bible, God's word, tells us from beginning to end that God is in the business of redeeming and restoring the brokenness of this world and that he will redeem and restore it through a redeemer and through a restorer. And his name is Jesus. Jesus came to live a perfect life, the Bible tells us, walking in complete obedience to the ways of God. And then he went to a cross, the Bible tells us, And he died on that cross, not for any sin that he had committed, but for the sin of the world, that we might be forgiven and set free from our sin. And then he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave three days later, the Bible tells us, to defeat death and sin forever that we might have new life. See, when Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, he says, Timothy, I want you to preach the scriptures, preach the Bible. And what I mean is, preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. Because all of the Bible is about God's plan of redemption, that he's enacted to rescue his people, to bring his people back to himself, which means that all of the Bible is about Jesus. To be even more specific, Jesus is the very word of God. He is the very word of God. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 say this. John begins his gospel this way. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He's talking about Jesus here, saying Jesus is literally the word of God. Through Jesus, God created all things. He spoke those into existence in and through Christ. And where life can come in a place of death, in and through Jesus. And light can come in a place of darkness, in and through Jesus. Because Jesus has come into this world. Which means nothing can triumph over Jesus. He has defeated sin. He's defeated death. He has come to crush the head of the serpent that deceived Adam and Eve at the beginning that plunged the world into humanity. Jesus wins. He triumphs over everything. And so Paul says, preach the word then. Preach Jesus. Why would you want to talk about anything else? When we can talk about Jesus. Paul tells Timothy, do it in season and out. Do it in season and out. This means do it whether everyone loves it or hates it. See, Charles Simeon preached Jesus even when his church didn't want him to because he believed that it was through God's word that people would be changed, that would cross from death to life, that their lives would be made more like Christ. He was faithful to his calling and faithful to the message, and God used it. You may be thinking, well, that sounds good. I get get preaching about Jesus. I get preaching the gospel, especially for those who don't yet know Christ. And and I know some of you here this morning don't yet know Christ, and you're just checking out who Jesus is. And I'm thankful that you're here this morning. But for those of us that do know Christ, you may be thinking, well, okay, that's great. I get it. For people who don't know Christ, we preach Jesus. But why do we keep preaching Jesus? I mean, I've already trusted in Christ. I get the gospel. So why do we keep talking about it over and over and over again? Why do we keep preaching it over again? The reason we do that is because we believe the gospel is not only our means of salvation, it's also the means of our transformation. 
See, God saves us through Christ alone. When we place our faith in him, we are forgiven. We are set free from condemnation. If you are in Christ this morning, there is no more condemnation for you. The Bible tells you that. But God does not leave us where we are. He says, he promises to us, I'm going to make you brand new. I'm going to make you more and more like my son. I'm going to restore my image in you. I'm not going to leave you where you are. I'm going to save you where you're at, but then I'm going to see transformation take place in your life. And it will happen because of the gospel. In the reality of the gospel, one of the texts we read this morning out of Ezekiel 36 is the truth that God replaces our hearts. He literally does a heart transplant, taking our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. This means that our old life passes away and we are made new. We're a new creation We've been crucified with Christ, buried with Jesus, but just as Christ rose from the dead, we too rise, the scriptures say, and can walk with him. And so if you sit here this morning and you're united to Jesus, you're united to him by faith, sin used to be your master, but it's no longer your master. Jesus is your master. He's your Lord. He's your king now. And God's word tells you about your king and his kingdom. It tells you and it teaches you what this new life looks like under Jesus and with Jesus. So that's why we have to be preaching the gospel over and over and over again and have to come back to Jesus over and over and over again. Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 illustrate this. These are some of my favorite verses in the scriptures, things that I, verses I need to come back to my own life over and over again. Listen to Jesus' words to you, whether you know Christ or you don't know Christ. If you don't know Christ, this is Jesus' invitation to you this morning. He's inviting you to follow him. He's inviting you to trust in him, to give your life completely to him because he's good and he's faithful. And if you do know Christ, Jesus, these are Jesus' words to you as well. He's still calling you to walk with him in all of life. This is what he says, come to me. These are Jesus' words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, come and listen to me. Come and follow me. Listen to my words. My way is better. Jesus, God's very word, comes to us both in a person and in this written form. It says, my way is the best way. Follow me. Trust in me. I will lead you in the way everlasting. See, when Paul says to Timothy and to us, faithful preaching is preaching the word of God, he knows that it's in and through the word of God that people are saved and that it's in and through the word of God that people's lives are transformed. Which is why he says in the rest of verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is really similar to what he says in chapter 3, verse 16, right before this, 16 and 17. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God, it's God's word, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul's saying God's word is what completes us, God's word is what transforms us, it's useful to encourage us and challenge us and help us to be more like Jesus. Paul says when we preach, we do it with complete patience and teaching and instruction because it's essential for us. It's essential for our lives. See, the goal of preaching is never to beat you up. It's never to beat you up. It's not to come to you and just sucker punch you in the head and tell you you're not doing a good job. No, the goal of preaching is always to make you more like Jesus. 
It's to encourage you and exhort you and rebuke you when necessary to help you to be more like Jesus. It's God's means to do that. And when the word of God is preached, Jesus is king, which means when the word of God is preached, sometimes it does reprove us and rebuke us and correct us. And it reminds us that Jesus is better and his way is best. When the word of God is preached, Jesus is king, which means that it trains us to follow our king, to be like him in our thoughts and our, and our words and our actions. When the word of God is preached, Jesus is king, which means that it's God's means to bring his good work to completion in us, that his good work might be done through us. When the word of God is preached, Jesus is king, which means that the word of God is authoritative for our life. It's not a book of suggestions or recommendations on how to live. It's a declaration of the way of the king and his kingdom. And it's for his glory and our good. When I was in fourth grade, we, uh, our, our elementary school was a little bit overcrowded. And so we were in one of those trailers uh, outside of the school, which in fourth grade we thought was awesome. It was like, man, we got our own building, you know, like we're just chilling out here. And it was right next to the playground. And right outside of our door was a tetherball court. You know, maybe you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, plays tetherball. If you haven't, you should go watch it. Um, but tetherball is this, is this game. There's a pole in the middle of this gravel little circle, and there's a string with a ball attached to the end of it. It's kind of like a volleyball. And the goal of tetherball is for two people, they hit the ball back and forth, and you're trying to wrap it all the way around the pole one direction while the other person is trying to wrap it around the pole the other direction. And so we, we would play that all the time. Sometimes our teacher would let us go out and play tetherball in the middle of the day. Again, why we love being in that classroom you know, one of the interesting things about tetherball is you kind of hit the ball and you're trying to hit it as hard as you can. You're trying to get it up high so the person can't reach it. But the thing is, no matter how hard you hit that ball, that ball's always attached to that string, which is always attached to that pole. It doesn't fly off in different directions. It doesn't do its own thing. It's always tethered to the pole, which is why it's called tetherball. It just orbits around and is connected to that pole. All preaching needs to be tethered preaching. It needs to be tethered preaching. It must be from the word of God and tied to Jesus. We can't ever stray away from that. The scriptures are the center pole and everything's connected to Christ. The sermon's that ball. We can't ever let it be disconnected from that string or from that pole. It all needs to be tethered to the word of God because we do it in the presence of Jesus and we do it for the fame of Jesus. It's never about the preacher. It's never even about the sermon and it's certainly not about the church. It's always about Christ. What this means then is if Christ is not explicitly preached in a sermon, then it's not a Christian sermon. It could be good ideas, maybe even true things that someone preaches on, but if a preacher ever calls you to do something that you can do on your own apart from Christ being in you and being united to Christ, then it's not a Christian sermon. It's not a Christian sermon. At a minimum, it's moralism, and at its worst, it's straight evil from the enemy. It has to be tethered to Christ. See, Paul doesn't tell Timothy to preach awesome sermons. He doesn't tell him, hey, look, people are going to maybe wander away, so you need to amp up the entertainment value. You need to make people laugh. You need to make people feel good about themselves. That's a good way. That's a good method of doing that. Oh, all Paul says to Timothy at the end of Paul's life, after all of his ministry, sitting in a jail cell is Timothy, preach the word. Keep preaching Jesus. There's a priority of preaching and God's good design for his people and for his church. And so at Sojourn, we are committed to faithful preaching, which means we're committed to preaching 
the word, which means we're committed to preaching Christ in all of our sermons. I mean, why would we want to preach anything else? Why would we want to talk about anything else? This is the hope of all the world. It's the greatest news in all the world. It's where our hope and our life is found. It's where salvation is for all who believe. But that's Paul's point, I think. See, why would Paul tell Timothy, the the man that he's trained up in ministry, why would he have to tell him to preach the word? Wouldn't Timothy already know that? Like, why does Paul say this to Timothy? One of his last words to this young man, this leader in the church, is preach the word. Timothy would be like, yeah, I know, Paul, I got that. So why does he say it to him? I think the reason is, is because there's a temptation in Timothy to preach something different because people might want something different. Ah, Maybe I should change things up a little bit. Maybe Paul doesn't know how things are these days. So I'm going to tweak this a little bit. And so Paul warns Timothy about what's going to happen. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There's a priority to preaching, but there's also a priority of listening. See, to be a faithful church, Christ must be central. To be a faithful church, there must be faithful preaching. But to have faithful preaching, there also has to be faithful listening. You are not passive in the process of preaching. It's not something done to you. It's something you interact with. It's something you engage with, you participate in. And what I mean by that is as God's word is preached to you, you should sit there and you can listen to it and you can mull it over and you can maybe question things and think about stuff and just listen to what God's saying to you. See, as we come to hear the preaching of the word, what we have to understand is that we place ourselves under God's word. It's over us. We place ourselves under God's word and Allow God's word to speak into our lives. We don't sit above God's word deciding on whether or not we're going to listen to it or not, whether we think it's right or wrong. We submit ourselves to it under God's word. Because God's word is not some dead document. God's word is living and active. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. The author of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What the author of Hebrews is saying is God's word interprets your life, not the other way around. Your word doesn't interpret the word of God. We place our life under that and allow God's word to speak into our lives. And most of the time, I think we're fine with that. We can go around the room and be like, are you okay with that? Are you okay with preaching God's word and interpreting your life? So yeah, I'm good with that. See, I think the temptation comes, though, when God's word is preached and it starts to challenge an area of our life that we're not really interested in letting go or changing or being challenged on. Maybe it's in the area of sexuality. Maybe it's our dating relationship or our marriage. Maybe it's our parenting. Maybe it's our money. All things that, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't like people telling us much about or speaking into. And so because we hold on to these things so tightly, we can start to think, man, I don't like this very much. The preaching here, I'm just not down with it, you know. I need preaching that builds me up. I need preaching that encourages me. This is just kind of tearing me down. And so maybe we start looking for another church or another preacher. And maybe we find one who tells us what we want to hear about our sexuality or about our dating relationship or our marriage or our parenting or our money. But what we don't realize in the midst of that is we're not rejecting the preacher, We're rejecting God's word and rejecting truth when we do that. 
See, this is happening all over the world. Paul tells Timothy, this is going to happen. It will happen that people will start to accumulate for themselves, accumulate, pile up preachers and teachers in their life who are going to tell them what they want to hear because they don't want to hold on to the gospel anymore. They want to find people who will tickle their ears, scratch the itch that they have. I mean, you can see this right now in our own culture. This week I went on iTunes and and looked at the, the most popular podcast episodes in the religion and spirituality category. And out of the top 10, about half of them were legitimate, solid preaching. The other half were from people who I don't think teach the gospel. And sometimes they're false teachers. The number one sermon on that podcast, the preacher gets up and says, everybody hold up your Bible, this is God's word. And then he puts the Bible away and doesn't talk about it anymore. He seeks to encourage, maybe pieces together some different verses here and there, but he's not preaching the word, he's preaching God's thoughts. And it it makes people feel good. But doesn't confront people on the reality of their lives saying, Jesus is better. Jesus is king. Let me show you what he says. See, I think the reason that Paul tells Timothy to expect that people will turn away from sound doctrine, that they'll turn away from the gospel and to turn to false truths, false truths, false myths, false things about God, is because we don't like to be people under authority. We don't like to submit ourselves to things. We like to chart our own course. We like to be the ones who can, on our own, accept or reject something as being true. And so we find people who will reinforce those desires. But listen, someone can be a great communicator and a terrible preacher. Because biblical preaching necessitates preaching the Bible. And preaching the Bible necessitates preaching the gospel. Some churches will die because they don't preach the gospel. But some churches will explode in growth because they don't preach the gospel. But faithful churches that are committed to faithful preaching will preach the gospel and trust God with the results. This means that we have to submit ourselves to God's word and God's word alone, even when the truth about God or ourselves is difficult for us to understand or digest in our own lives which means we need to actively listen. We need to make it a priority to listen to God's word as he speaks it to us through the preaching of his word. And we need to make sure that what we're listening to on a Sunday morning comes from the mouth of God and not a mouth with a forked tongue. It's the priority of listening. Thomas Watson, who was a pastor from many, many years ago, says this, it was by the ear, by our first parents listening to the serpent that we lost paradise. And it's by the ear, by hearing of the word, that we get to heaven. Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Don't be led astray. Listen for Jesus. Faithful churches must have faithful preaching because faithful preaching is transformative. Believe God's word not only saves you, it transforms you. And so we must listen for that. It's transformative because it's not my own words. It's not any person that gets up here's words. It's God's words speaking to us as it's preached and applied to our lives. And God uses the preached word by his spirit to impact our hearts and impact our lives. And preaching can be transformative in two ways. It can be immediately transformative. Maybe you've had a moment where you've heard a sermon and you think, man, that sermon's for me. You're like, man, did he read my email this week? Has he been following me on Twitter or Facebook or something? Like, this is a little scary. This is about me. It's for me. No, I don't stalk you. I'm not creepy like that, okay? But listen, the Holy Spirit uses the preaching preaching of his word to impact your life specifically and directly. And there's been those moments, I'm sure, in some of our lives where we've listened to a sermon and sitting in our seat, God changes our hearts. 
he changes, he convicts us, and he brings us to a place of faith or repentance. Maybe it was the first time when you trusted in Christ for the very first time. Maybe it's when you first understood that, that you're united with Jesus, that your identity is in Jesus. You've heard a sermon, it's changed your life. It can be immediate, and a moment changes you. But most of the time for us, preaching is transformative and kind of a slow cook process, kind of crockpot style. Right? We, we sit under the preached word of God, we listen to it week in and week out, and we, and we think about it, and we, we digest it, and we talk about it in the context of community, and God slowly changes you from one degree of glory to another through the preaching of his word. Maybe you can't pinpoint a specific sermon. You know, you can't think about, you've been at Sojourn for a little while, or another church for a little while, and you can't think, I can't really remember too many sermons, but what I know is that God has grown me. And God has shaped me and God has changed me as I've listened to the word preached consistently over me. See, Sojourn, we are gathered by the word of God. Without the word, this church doesn't exist. It can't. It'd just be a social club. But as we gather together by the word of God, we also must listen to it together and ask ourselves, what is God saying to us? So we don't gather just as a bunch of individuals. We gather as a community. We gather as a family. And so we ask that question together. What is God saying to us? It's one of the reasons we do community group the way that we do. We spend time every week in community group just going back to the text of Scripture and reading it over again and, and, and asking that question of how does this apply to my life? How am I working this out in my life? And we seek to apply the sermon to our lives. We help each other. We hold each other accountable. I mean, even this morning, you're not here by yourself, right? There's somebody else that knows you're here, which means that we know that we're all listening to the same sermon preached so we can hold each other accountable to God's word being preached. So let me encourage you to do a few things when you think about gathering with the church to make listening a priority. When you come to hear the word preached, engage, be attentive, lean in, be expectant when you come to hear the word of God preached. Not because you think, Whoever's up here preaching is a great preacher because you're, you know that God's going to use that in your life. Be expectant. Lean in. I encourage you to take notes. Take notes, whether that's on your phone or writing it down, to help you not only as you sit and think about the sermon, but as you go back in community group to be able to discuss it with people. You can go back and say, yeah, I remember when this was said. That challenged me or that encouraged me. Take notes. If you're out of town, listen online. We post the sermons every week because we believe in the power of preaching. So we want you to hear God's word so that you can engage your community on that. And lastly, if you're not in a community group, get involved in one so that you can start to figure out how to apply this in your own life and have people to help you. Sojourn, we live in a loud environment. At any given point in time, as we're on input, there are a thousand different things vying for our attention and our affection. But in the midst of all that noise, we need to listen. To listen to God's word over and over again. Be reminded of it week in and week out. We need to be refreshed knowing that our, that our king is the king of kings, that he is good and he is faithful and he loves us too much to leave us where we are and to allow us to eat the slop that this world offers to us. The king and his ways are always better. To help us all in growing and listening to sermons, I'm going to give you something today. I always give you something on the way out, but we have these little books. They're called Listen Up, and it's a practical guide to listening to sermons. Just a little short book. And so as you walk out this morning, uh, you can grab one of those at the door on the way out. Just take one per family. But I just encourage you to read that. It's written by a guy named Christopher Ash. He's a, an old British dude who uh, is, is just committed to the preaching of God's word. So I hope it encourages you and then challenges you and encourages you to encourage good preaching in your church. So pick one of those up on the way out this morning. 
In 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, we see Paul lays out a priority of preaching and a priority of listening. And in verse 5, to close, he lays out the priority of the preacher. Look at verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. And Paul has charged Timothy in the presence of God and King Jesus to preach the word, to be ready in season and out, to preach the word because it's the word alone that gives life, it's the word alone that changes lives. And so Paul says to Timothy, be sober-minded. A few weeks ago we saw that elders are called to be sober-minded, but those who preach are called to be sober-minded as well. Be a balanced thinker, not easily persuaded by different fads and techniques and trends in the church or culture. It means preachers need to be discerning. They need to allow the word of God to form the sermon, to guide them in their preaching and their ministry. Be sober-minded, Timothy. Paul says, endure suffering. There will come times when people will revile the preaching of the word of God. You aren't innovative enough. Your sermons are all the same. They just talk about the gospel all the time. Isn't there something more we could talk about? And like in Charles Simeon's case, they could become even violent at times. People threw bricks through the windows of the church building because he was committed in season and out to preach the word. And sojourn throughout the history of the church, faithful pastors who've been committed to faithful preaching and preaching the word of God have been ridiculed, have been mocked, have been slandered, have been insulted, have been fined, have been beaten, have been thrown in jail, and have been killed for preaching the word of God. Some of this has happened in America, and one day, if we're honest, it will all happen here. But Paul's word to preachers how you can encourage good preaching in your church is to say, endure that suffering. Endure that suffering because the word of God will endure. And the word of God alone brings life and changes lives. And then Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. The word evangelist or evangelism comes from the Greek word for gospel. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, be a gospeler. Never stray away from the gospel. Give it to non-believers and to believers, but always come back to the gospel. Be a gospeler. And when a pastor preacher makes this his priority, he can fulfill his ministry. And he can only do this by God's empowerment and grace. As I read through this myself, I think I can only do this by God's grace and empowerment. I must preach Christ as an overflow of my own dependence on Christ. It starts with me in my own heart, in my own life. As I look at God's word, I have to apply it to my own life. I have to be challenged by it in my own life first before I can ever give it to anybody else or minister to it to anybody else. I need God's grace. I need God's help to be able to be faithful to the calling and ministry of being a faithful preacher. See, as one pastor said, a faithful preacher prepares the way, clears the way, and gets out of the way. It's always and only about Jesus. My ministry is faithful when Christ alone and not myself is exalted in my preaching. And this church can be faithful when Christ alone and nothing else is exalted from this pulpit. A faithful church must have faithful preaching, and faithful preaching will enable us to be a faithful church. So, sojourn, let's be that church together for God's glory and our good. Today, as a response to the word of God preached, which reminds us of who God is, which reminds us of who we are and our deep need for a Savior, we're going to come forward to partake in a meal that not only refreshes us, but also preaches to us. This meal declares and proclaims that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is King. 
It proclaims that we could do nothing to rescue ourselves from our mess and from our sin, but that Jesus paid it all. He was nailed to a cross to bear the weight and punishment of our sin. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that you and I could be set free now and forever and reconciled to God. And so we're reminded of that through the preached word of God, hopefully, Lord willing, every week. But we're also reminded as we come forward. So let this meal preach a sermon to you this morning that it is finished in Christ. As you come forward this morning to take the bread and cup, be encouraged in your heart today to hear what Jesus has done for you. And for those of you that are not followers of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion. And the reason for that, because this really is a declaration, it is a sermon we're preaching to one another, that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sin, and he is our only hope. And so if you don't yet believe that, if you're not yet sure, we just ask you just to hang out in your seat and just pray. Ask God to to show you if this is true. Ask God to save you this morning. Trust in Jesus today so that next week you could come forward and take partake in this meal and that you can preach that sermon to your new brothers and sisters. And if you have questions about what it means to know and follow Christ, this is why this church is here. Come talk to me. Go to a community group this week and just tell somebody, man, I want to know more about what it means to know Jesus. We love to journey with you in that. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the stations in the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink and listen to the words spoken over you this morning about what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Father God, our desire as a church is that we would be faithful. We'd be faithful in every single way that you've called us to be faithful. We want to be have faithful leaders. We want to have faithful worship. And Lord, we want to have faithful preaching. Because Lord, Lord, we, be- we believe that it's your word and your word alone that is living and active that not only saves us, but also changes us and transforms us. So Father, I pray that we'd be committed to that. Help us to encourage faithful preaching. Help us to be committed to that. And help us also to make a priority of listening. That we'd be expectant for the word preached. Asking you every week to change our lives because we've sat and listened to the word preached. Change us through that as a church. Change us as individuals. Change us as a community. And then as you change us and make us more like Jesus from one degree of glory to another, I pray that we would leave the preaching of your word and go out and share that word with all of those around us. That you might call more and more people to yourself. Lord, help us to always be faithful to the preaching of your word, to preaching Jesus in everything we do, to your glory and for our good. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.